Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast from Northern Seminary. This week's episode is part of a special summer series discussing the stories of women found in Scripture. For this week's conversation, we are joined by Dr. Lynn Coick, Dr. Carmen Imes, and Serene Musselman. Join us as we debunk common myths, explore important themes, and discuss the relevance of these women's stories for our faith today. Hello, Alabaster Jar listeners. We are so excited to be kicking off a series for you today that will take us through the months of June and July. This is a special summer series where we are looking at women in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And today for our first episode, I'm joined by our host, Dr. Lynn Koick, and Dr. Carmen Imes is returning to the podcast today. And both of them have series on Seminary Now, which if you are not aware of Seminary Now. It is a streaming service with some amazing courses on there. Lynn has a recently released course on women in the New Testament. And Carmen also has a series on Seminary Now, which follows her book, Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. And they are both wonderful uh, resources. I encourage you to go and check them out. But today, as we get started, Lynn, would you let us know who we are talking about on today's podcast? Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Serene. And thank you, Carmen, for joining us. Uh, we we just love, Carmen and I have known each other for a while. We've known each other long enough to not count it in years. Uh, <laughs> it's not polite publicly, uh, but um uh, yeah, we are just going to talk about our favorite subject, which is the Bible, and especially today, talk about Eve, and then also uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, and kind of look at what these three women, what their testimony and life experience tells us about redemption history. So that that's what we're looking at today. Wonderful. Well, um, one of the things that we are going to do in this series um, is bust some myths. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to kick off this episode with uh, some common myths that come to the surface as these stories have been read throughout history. So Carmen, um, as you look at the story of Eve, are there any common myths that come to mind that you've noticed? Oh, so many. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad we're starting with Eve. Obviously, she's the first woman in the Bible, and so much um, infamy surrounds her, right? She's the one who led humanity into sin. Uh, I think she, be in, by virtue of the fact that she's mentioned in the New Testament by Paul in a couple of places, we think of her as easily deceived, which then we map onto all women as being easily deceived. Um I think we also hear her talked about as less than Adam in some ways, that maybe he's the full image of God and she's an afterthought, uh, that he's the one who's supposed to rule the world and she's supposed to come along as his sidekick. And so there's definitely some uh, myths that we need to bust. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just say that um, we will do a later uh, podcast in this series that will focus on one of those infamy passages, 1 Timothy chapter mm. 2. Um, so for those listeners who want to dig in a little bit more to that, uh, we will for sure uh, do that. Because you're right, uh, Carmen, the the um, 
the idea that it's all on Eve. It's all Eve's fault. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you try, though, to put this on a stage, um, I think Adam is standing like right there Mm -hmm. with her, isn't he? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what, does he have like duct tape on his mouth Mm -hmm. and he can't talk? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's not adept at using motions like, you know, (laughs) uh, Uh, tell her, turn away, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't recommend this. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it is, uh, it's not like she had to hunt him down. He was out, you know, uh, doing gardening or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was totally. going to say barbecuing, but you know that raises a whole lot of other questions. Yeah, no barbecue Pre-fall. yet. Wait, wait till after the flood for that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I would say for Mary, the mother of Jesus, some of the uh, concerns around her, I think, is it, she's just only seen as a mother, maybe, I mean, an mm-hmm. important mother, you know, of Jesus, but she's not really given full weight for her prophetic uh, mm. uh, speech in Luke. Um, and then poor Mary Magdalene gets um, elided with or gets combined with the sinful woman that's talked about in Luke chapter 7. And so poor Mary Magdalene carries around this uh, burden of guilt and shame that uh, is absolutely mm-hmm. not part of her history. Well, no woman should carry around burden of guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jesus, of course, releases the woman in Luke 7 from that. It's just later interpreters won't let it go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think, Lynn, another another thing that surrounds Mary, the mother of Jesus, is um, Jesus seems to dismiss her in a couple of places. And so as if she doesn't matter anymore. So I think that's maybe blown out of proportion. And perhaps as Protestants, we are trying so hard not to be Catholic that we don't we don't want to talk about Mary because we don't overdo it. Exactly. Um, but in not wanting to overdo it, we've actually lost a tremendous resource. So true. So true. Well, you both have highlighted some really important myths that we need to pay attention to. So let's uh, try to um, focus in on some common themes between these stories. As Lynn mm-hmm. already said, we're looking at the role that these three women play in redemption history. Mm-hmm. And Carmen, I know that you have spoken about how there are some fascinating parallels between their stories. So mm-hmm. as you uh, read, uh, starting with Eve, Eve's story, what are some important themes that we should be aware of as we read um, her story in scripture. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we're framing this as redemptive history because I think too often we start with the fall and we forget what comes before it and the fall becomes kind of our dominant paradigm. But if we read Genesis 1, we see very clearly that the first woman is made fully in the image of God. Male and female are both the image of God. And that the I would call that their identity or status being the image of God. And that has implications for vocation. And those implications are spelled out in Genesis 1 as ruling the earth and subduing it. And that is not a task that's given to man alone. It's given to men and women side by side as partners in chapter 1. So when we zoom in on the first couple in chapter 2, before they're even named, we've got the human And it's not good that he's alone. And so God makes a woman to be with him. And before they're even named, it's clear that 
the intention is for them to be partners in carrying out that commission from chapter one, that together they're to rule the earth. Nowhere are humans told in chapter one or two to rule each other. They're ruling the rest of creation as representatives on God's behalf. So if we're going to think about redemption history, we need to begin with what is God's vision for humankind? And that vision begins in a partnership where humans have an elevated status and identity that flows into a vocation. And Eve is an equal part in that. So that's that's where I would start. Absolutely. If I can just piggyback on that, because sometimes people will say, well, uh, Christ is the second Adam. And so somehow Christ's maleness is Mm. very uh, integral to his salvation capacity. And while it is important that he is male for uh, certain um, being able to be our high priest, um, being the king. I mean, that there are certain aspects that 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 is important, but not in this idea of uh, somehow the maleness is connected with uh, with saving in some way. So mm-hmm. even though Christ is the second Adam. Adam, in this case, should be understood as human, Mm -hmm. anthropos, Mm -hmm. not male. Right. And I think that is uh, important to to note. uh, There's a Jewish scholar who uh, unfortunately passed away in 2006, Tikva Framer Kensky, Mm -hmm. who has this line, God, from the Old Testament, you know, in, in talking about the ancient Israelites, God is not imagined below the waist. Hmm. Isn't that so good? That is interesting. Yes. God is not imagined below the waist. And I think that's what you're bringing out. God created humanity, uh, humans, male and female, but God in God's self is not proclaiming male Mm -hmm. as better. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I'm just in the middle of actually coming to the end stages of writing another book uh, on the image of God. And so I've been hanging out in this passage quite a bit. And another another thing that I, another theme that emerges for me as I read chapter two is that um, when God makes the woman, the idea is that he's making a helper suitable for for the for the human. And that helper, that suitable, we, we think of the word helper as some kind of a subservient role. Um, But the word ezer in the Hebrew Bible, it occurs about a hundred times, and half of those occurrences are referring to God as Israel's helper, clearly not subservient. The other half of of the references to ezer are referring to a military ally who comes to rescue in a, in a, uh, when you're under attack and you don't think you can win your battle, you need an ezer. And so for God to send a woman to Adam, is uh, is not he needs a sidekick, but he needs a rescuer. <laughs> and so if we're going to talk about redemption history, we're talking about God doing something profound here in providing companionship, allyship uh, for Adam to be able to carry out his commission. Right, right. So you mentioned uh, just a little bit in the New Testament um, that it's talked about and it's in first. Timothy chapter two, that Mm -hmm. Eve was formed second, or it makes the claim that Adam was formed first. So you've been doing research in Genesis one and two, and you've got the anthropos there, the 
human, mm -hmm. although it's, I'll let you say it in the Hebrew. I won't use the Greek, but tell <laughs> us a little bit about how should we think about Adam and then Eve? You mentioned Ezer, mm -hmm. so it's a helper, it's a rescuer. Mm -hmm. um, what's the order? What's the issue yeah, about the order? I, I think I, I read an article by Mary Conway in the new uh, Discovering Biblical Equality, and I, this was a kind of new way of framing First Timothy 2 for me that I thought was helpful. And I know you're going to talk about it in a later episode, but I'll just say briefly my takeaway from that is um, Timothy talks about, um, or sorry, Paul talks to Timothy about Eve being deceived and Adam not being deceived. And that has to do with the order of their creation. And um, her, her thought was, Mary Conway's thought is that um, it's because Eve is created second that she misses out on the instruction that Adam had. So God tells Adam the rule about not eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve doesn't hear that directly. So the snake is able to deceive her because of that lack of instruction. Adam, on the other hand, heard directly from God, and he's right with her as she's being deceived. And so we, we could say he's not deceived. He goes into this sin like with his eyes wide open. Um, Mary Conway calls it a high-handed sin. It's direct rebellion. And so in that, in the context of that passage, Paul is trying to tell Timothy, let women learn. We need women to be instructed so that this doesn't happen again. We need women directly to hear, uh, to have theological training. And to hear from God. So that, that I think helps reframe her deception. The, the other thing I want to say is just that um, this is a newer idea for me too. I've always thought, oh, so, so bad that Eve sinned. And it is bad. Um, this, this just kind of casts a shadow over her. But there is a sort of silver lining to that shadow or to that cloud. And that is God does not uh, ignore Eve. He addresses her as a full as someone with full agency. She's responsible for her own sin. He does not condemn Adam for Eve's sin, but he addresses each of them as a moral agent. And I think that's an important takeaway um, when we think about redemptive history. Both men and women are to be instructed theologically and they're to respond. They're responsible for their response. Uh, we don't we don't have men who are sort of like coming in between us and God and needing to mediate. Right. Yeah. Oh, and that's so helpful to use those, those lens. Then when we go to, let's say the beginning of Luke's gospel and we read both Elizabeth and also Mary. Mm -hmm. So the angel Gabriel goes to Elizabeth's husband and goes to Mary directly. Both of, and both mm -hmm. of them are held accountable. And we're not surprised that Zacharias is held accountable. Mm -hmm. That seems more normal. But Mary is also uh, invited to participate in God's redemption, yeah. just like God, as you said, talked, talked with Eve mm -hmm. and did not abandon Eve in this sin. So too, Mary's given an opportunity to step through a door and that no woman has mm -hmm. before or since mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. been asked to um, to step through. And she does so with great boldness. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to throw a curve to you. But when I think of Mary, I do think of the, of the word boldness. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think of, I mean, she ponders things. So there's also mm -hmm. a, a contemplative aspect to her. Um, what would be some character traits you might put on Eve? Hmm. 
maybe a curiosity and a, a ambition. She's ambitious, right? She wants to become like God. That's what the snake tells her she'll be. And of course, we should want to become like God, but not outside of what he's commanded. So her ambition and her curiosity need theological formation. That's yeah, what that's she's good. lacking. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um. So much wisdom here. Thank you both for sharing what you've shared. I feel like this conversation could just keep going. Um, and so I want to pause here for just a moment, encourage our listeners to stick with us over the coming weeks as we continue this series, and also to go and check out the Seminary Now courses that Lynn and Carmen both have. But before we close out today, um, I've been picking up on some themes here of theology and doctrine that are coming out in some of the things that you're sharing. How can we take the stories of Eve, of of Mary, the mother of Jesus, of Mary Magdalene, and apply what we learn from their stories to the development of our own theology, how we live out our faith. What are some practical mm. applications of what you've talked about today? Mm. Uh, let me, let me, uh, since I haven't said that much about Mary Magdalene, but what immediately comes to my mind, Serene, with your question is Jesus speaks directly to her from his, uh, at the point that he is raised from the dead. And mm -hmm. he, they have this encounter and the gospel of John uh, lays it out for us. And he, he talks with her um, and, and invites her to be the first person to say to the others, he is risen. Mm -hmm. And I guess because I'm I'm resonating so much, Carmen, with what you said about Eve, that God sees her as mm. a whole person and a mm -hmm. moral agent, and mm -hmm. he talks with her. Mm -hmm. um, he sees her. And of course, that's true with the angel Gabriel and also with Jesus, who mm -hmm. doesn't see her just as mom, you know, but sees her as a disciple who follows, yeah. you know, she's she's there at the birth of the church, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. the birth of the Savior and the birth of his church. Yeah. And so I feel like there's this theme, at least that I pick up, of this incredible uh, um, calling mm -hmm. that all believers have, including mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say Jesus entrusts the most important theological message in human history to a woman. And there is something really beautiful about that scene in John 20 because it takes place in a garden. And he, and what Eve was lacking, not having been instructed directly by God in the garden and so falling into sin, Jesus reverses by addressing Mary Magdalene in, in the garden and commissioning her to carry this news, which is ultimately what the first Eve should have been doing, right? So we see this beautiful bookend, um, and, and I think we see it with both Mary and Mary Magdalene because you have Eve coming out of Adam's body and then Jesus coming out of Mary's body. So there's this like inverted embodiment uh, in the story. Um, and I think it's appropriate to think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as a new Eve in some ways. But I also see it with Mary Magdalene happening in a garden with the commissioning and she calls him teacher in that moment. So I think my takeaway is we should theologically train women and we should send them out with the gospel message. It's so biblical. 
Amen. Well, I'm so excited. (laughs) This has been a great way to kick off this series. Thanks, Carmen. Thank you, Lynn. I'm looking forward to our episode next week as we continue talking about women in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Next week, we will be looking at women in leadership. So make sure to join us back then. And Lynn and Carmen, I'll see you next time. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to another episode of The Alabaster Jar. If you enjoyed this week's conversation, please subscribe, share, and plan to join us again next week as we continue this special summer series. To explore further the topics and stories discussed in this week's episode, check out Lynn's Seminary Now course on Women in the New Testament and Carmen's Seminary Now course on Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. We've included links to both of those courses in today's episode description.